stuff. And my dad came from a, a kind of a village background. And he used to have like cobras and pythons come into his house. And uh, my grandma, because of my, my descent, part of the spirituality of Hinduism, some of them believe in snake worship too. I, you guys might have seen videos and stuff like that in uh, nature documentaries. And my grandma was one of those people too. So it's very much a part of my family right from the start. Welcome to From the Ground Up, where we talk to reptile keepers and breeders about all things cold-blooded. Sit back and have a beer with us. Well, some of you are driving. If you're driving, keep your hands tended to and enjoy the show. All right, everyone, welcome to From the Ground Up podcast, a very special Memorial Day episode for our folks in the United States, which is kind of funny that we don't have someone from the United States on our national holiday, but that makes it, it makes all the more sense, fun. Yeah. <laughs> and plus, people were probably busy. I right, think your right. U.S. folks would be like, I'm hanging barbecue, out at a barbecue drinking yeah. beers. And uh, why not get a Canadian that's actually not drunk off his mind on a, on a <laughs> holiday weekend, right? So like, yeah, there you no, go. I, and if you... If you were a drunk Canadian, it would still be as fun. But. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, thanks for having me, guys, and a happy Memorial Day weekend, by the way. Awesome, man. I appreciate you being here, and thank yous. And um, before we get started, PortCityPythons.com. We have t-shirts. Available. We have t-shirts available. <laughs> we have. Uh, we're slowly gaining products, so. We are posting, we do have our springtails up there, which we did. And now we have created our own sphagnum moss. So if you want to check that out, I'll be slowly adding more products as we go along, but we're totally doing it, you know, by ourselves in our living room, um, shipping out stuff like every day and walking to the post office and doing all the, uh, all I don't the know, fun stuff. all the fun yeah, stuff, you, doing all the legwork. But oh no. yeah, I hear you. No snakes uh, available until probably July will be our first um, available clutches and everything. But we're still, we have four more clutches we're waiting on. We counted, uh, I counted the other day, we have a total of 136 eggs, which is really exciting for Which is us. probably like not a lot for some for people. For a lot of people, but for us, that's amazing. <laughs> I think we're going to double our egg production from last year. Um, yeah. So that's a big thing to us. So totally, man. I, I totally get it. Uh, I can I can still to this day still remember exactly how it felt like when I had hatched my first corn snake, my first snake ever. It was corn snakes, by the way. So yeah, no, never it, never lose that man. It, to this day, every every little pip I see, every little tongue flick out of a eggshell there, just yeah, brings you back. I That's hope I thing. feel the same way on the hundred and thirty. Nah, numbers first. don't matter, man. <laughs> numbers numbers will just naturally grow depending on what you can do with yourself and you know or you know who's helping who you got helping with you but numbers is not something to really worry about at this point I mean, as long as your care is optimum just go with it man just enjoy it it's where it's at now for me especially like you know i try to i try to define everything too much i thought for a while then you know try to make it too much of a science to kind of create it and i just realized okay well, that's a that's a little art form to this too and then i'm realizing so yeah like and animals, I've heard- animals is I've heard people say like, you know, it's just as easy to keep a hundred snakes as it is a thousand because you have the systems in place to take care of them more properly. But yeah, um, true, yeah. I haven't had the pleasure of experiencing that yet. <laughs> you, will, you will have those systems and then you will lose some systems because you will realize that in going further, you will need 
to lose some of them. Uh, some of them make sense at certain times, and some of them don't. It's it's you're always evolving, evolving. It's you're always dynamic. You know, it's, it's nothing ever is stagnant, especially when dealing with nature, live animals, right? You know, and during you know having a cycle too with you know breeding cycles and stuff like that. Everything's always changing every year, right? So, and every year gets better, man. Like you know, so at least hopefully that's the yeah, aim, yeah, right? I so, hope so. yeah. So I guess we should properly introduce you. And uh, so we have Vannon, our Canadian ophidiophile. You may have seen him on Instagram and you may have seen him. Um, he actually just posted up, started making YouTube videos not too long ago. And I was, that's how I first found out about you. I was super impressed that you put out your first video and like, I mean, obviously you have the knowledge and you also like didn't look super awkward and it was also, it was also like produced and shot well. So I want to commend you on hitting those at least. Uh, It was an amazing video. So Um, I have to admit that I, um, in a recent shift of events here with life and and what I've had to do my collection, I have slacked off on that, but it's, it's still there. It's just a matter of getting my reevaluating the system and creating a new system and I'll be getting back to those again. So um, we're not doing week- weekly videos. We've stopped it completely right now, but we will be getting back to it shortly. So, yeah, and that is- at, at any point either, because right now priorities I got eggs hatching, babies, right? But you know that will be happening. So, we feel you. Know exactly how you <laughs> feel. So, how did you get started in reptiles? What first got you interested? Oh man, I got to start way back, and I mean, the 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 one man I have to thank for for inspiring me is is my dad, really. Uh, my background, um, some of you may be able to tell, some of you may not be able to tell. Uh, I'm East Indian descent. Uh, my family, my great-grandparents from India, but I was born and raised in Singapore, a uh, little small tropical little island off the tip of Peninsula, Malaysia, Southeast Asia. Uh, my parents uh, were in the 50s. Singapore was still not really quite developed and stuff like that. So, And when I was born in the 70s, um, well, it was actually late 80s, late 70s, sorry, 79. Jesus, why did I? <laughs> when you got older than guys, <laughs> but uh, you know, so when I was going that time, there was there was still a lot of uh, places not really being developed yet and stuff. And my dad came from a, a kind of a village background, and he used to have like cobras and pythons come into his house. And uh, my grandma, because of my um, uh, my descent, uh, part of the spirituality of Hinduism, some of them believe in. And snake worship too. I, you guys might have seen videos and stuff like that in uh, nature documentaries. Uh, and my grandma was one of those people too. So it was very much a part of my family right from the start. Uh, and I didn't realize it as much. But I grew up hearing all these stories and all this. And of course, kids just gathering around and hearing the stories about pythons coming in and the cobras. And of course, kids weren't allowed to see these things at that time, right? But Growing up, we heard these things, and uh, the, the, the catch to that was, in Singapore, it was it is and was um, illegal to own reptiles. Um, oh, wow. So we were never allowed to keep that. Yeah, it's just kind of a, doesn't make any sense, but I'm not going to get into that. Uh, but uh, anyway, so we, I never uh, kept them. So it's always, you know, it's about in, in observing them in nature. So, of course, as I was growing up and I was catching uh, calodes, versus colors off the trees, um, and, you know, like something to like little baby reticulated pythons and stuff. I've, I found roadkill cobras. I've never seen a cobra myself. I wish I did because my dad would always tell me stories about king cobras. Uh, but anyways, that's another thing. All those, all those animals I grew up loving, man, like the you know, water monitors they use cats and bring home. Of course, these all pets I'd bring home and mom would be like, get them out of here, right? So back up they went. <laughs> but uh, 
they were very short-term pets. But uh, so that was basically growing up with that man. And then when I came to Canada, when I moved with my family in uh, my late teens, and of course it's like I went to my first pet store because being an animal lover the whole time. Just see what's in a Canadian pet store, right? <laughs> like mind blown. Here with these animals and green tree frogs, and you see these little Singaporean guy just going, "Oh my God!" It's like nine dollars to buy it. Wow! Like so, there it was right. My first chance. I got some money saved up. Got myself a little setup there. I got um, green animals. Actually, I brought a tarantula. My first love. Actually, I was a kid in Singapore. The, the, the ones I actually did get away with keeping were spiders. At around six or seven, around grade one, kindergarten. I was a kid at school friends catching with little spiders and capping, keeping them in containers. And um, in grade four or five, I was selling them to friends in my classroom for like 50 cents each. And just because people were like trying to get interested in this thing, right? So it became a thing, I guess. Um, so anyways, entrepreneur back then even. But uh, um, so anyways, uh, so I, I got a tarantula first and then just, I don't know. It just didn't, I just, my mind just kept going back like, yeah, but I've never had that. I've never had that. So I just went back. And I'm being, I had to be the guy and go like, I'm sorry, can I trade this back? Because I didn't realize, you know, uh, but I had to be honest with myself. And of course, animals were the first pet that, you know, really intrigued me. And I still love them uh, to this day. I wish I could have the time to deal with crickets and all that again. Um, but yeah, it kind of started from then little, uh, you know, animals and then green tree frogs. And then finally, I, um, I was working with SPCA at the time um, and I was also doing my vet studies. Not a vet now, though. But, uh, um and I, there was a, rock, um, a ball python that came into the shelter. And as we know with most SBCA personnel, they're not really trained in reptiles. So as soon as they got a reptile guy, then they're like, hey, man, can you help us deal with this thing? So in dealing with it and all of that, you know, they were like, you know, stay at the shelter for a while. And they're like, ah, do you want to just take this home kind of thing? You know, you want to adopt it yourself. So long story short, I ended up bringing this ball python back home. But I was nervous as hell, man. Like, I, I didn't want to touch this thing because I haven't really handled them as a pet right they were still like a wild animal to me and um so that was kind of a weird curve i had to deal with i was so passionate about this thing and i'm like looking at this thing in the tank but still so nervous of picking it up and stuff but of course you got past that and then long story short four or five snakes became i'm doing a glade herb import for florida water water snakes and uh, black mass racers and i'm dealing with wild caught animals and you know there you go right long story short so yeah so and, and those just, are that's like an interesting group of animals because those are seen as like kind of throwaway kind of if you go herping in Florida, you're going to find like 10 black racers and water, yeah. you know, like it's not it's a very, very underappreciated thing over here. I will be very honest. The reason why I ended up importing those from Glacier of all things is because that's all I could import at that time because I was just <laughs> those, I was delivering pizzas at that time and I was just trying to, like, you know, Fashion. I'm like doing this import by myself from Glade Sherp, right, from Canada at that time. So I had to be a little bit realistic about that. And I figured, well, I'm, I read, did my research, you know, don't put your eggs into bath, you know, you know two, just a couple of animals, like wild-caught animals. you got to, you know, take the chance of, you know, possibly losing them or, or, or dealing with a lot of parasites and so on and so forth, right? We know all that now. But, <clears throat> yeah, I was just trying to test that out i guess and uh yeah I, I didn't do too bad i thought actually we had later i did lose some along the way i have to be honest about it it's just part of the game um learning process too and i, I did learn about medication did learning about deworming through the process so it was very valuable learned about blister disease in water snakes um you know so much to learn when you just kind of i mean back then it was 
there was not a lot of character sheets like there are. It's not like there were a couple of forums, but you kind of had to know people to know people, and then you had to get the right guy to give you the right information. Otherwise, there's so much misinformation. Um, and we're not as aware as we are now, right? Like as a collective community, as how we were compared to 20 years ago. But, um, but in part of that, it just made it interesting. And you, when you learn those lessons, you learn them forever, right? And you just, you know, you learn them in a way that you just never forget it. And that's why you just build from there as you go on. Yeah, and to this day, man, never stop learning. <laughs> yeah, I think that's really just the mark of a good keeper is that you never stop learning. I'm sure yeah. there's those guys out there, but those are the guys who eventually fall off eventually. And if you if you have passion about it, I mean, you're always learning just kind of by default, I feel. Yeah, yeah. Exactly so that, from those those water snakes, uh, around what year was that? Oh, that would have been... Uh... Uh, 2001-ish. So those water snakes, were you just like setting them up in water and, you know, like uh, doing well, things wrong? Sort of, actually. No, I didn't. I, did the, uh, I didn't put them in, in water. I did have a water dish big enough for them to soak, and I, I did a paper towel, all right, just to keep it all, you know, sanitary and stuff. And I did kind of have a, a makeshift rack system built up there with heat tape and stuff. So just like old school way, man. I just like Ikea shelving and stuff, right? Like, you know. Um, but anyways, like, and I had a little bit like electrical background there to put it together. Obviously it wasn't completely, <laughs> uh, but, um, it was, um, sorry, what was the question again? I just want to make sure I'm answering the question. Yeah. So just like the general husbandry, when you first started out and kind of how you tweaked it for say a water snake or something that you've never kept. Yeah. So, before. um, uh, yeah, when I started keeping on paper towel, just to keep it sterile. Right. And, and that. Is where I, my first thing I, I learned with you know racers and water snakes are really a lot of colubrids that I keep. Um, that just doesn't work. They're too active of an animal to keep them. Uh, one, um, not I don't want to say ethically, but um, enrich to, to enrich their lives to actually not to not deprive them of the basic thing called the the the, the, the um, response in snakes. Um, you, you've seen snakes get a scatter on stuff like that. They just can't grip on stuff, especially colubrids that are active. Um, that's why people say, oh, colubrids are messy, because cause that's why, you know. Um, I keep things in substrate now. I've changed things along the way. So that's the one thing I learned about water snakes and, and bracers at that time was um, paper towel, newspaper, stuff like that, anything flat surfaces that just don't work for colubrids. And did you have, like, even at that point, did you have an inkling that you were like, this is what I want to do for a living, so I'm going to import a certain amount of them, like sell a certain amount of no. them? No. No, I never, I, there, was, there was never that kind of thought back then. Um, no one never thought about money. Uh, even Oh, we lost him. I'm sure he'll come back. Uh, he's still a hog nose head. Oh, oh. sorry. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're you're good. Okay. All right, go ahead. I, I can see. Okay. You. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where are we at again? Uh, you were saying back then, like money wasn't really a factor. You yeah. weren't really thinking about that. Yeah, there was there was really not not that thought. And that towards the end too, um, when I got out of the hobby, I was basically really about sending my my hatchlings to to friends I had, you know. And of course, there was always a price that we, you know, for the pure ethics of it and you know just to kind of keep like you know everyone happy kind of thing you know there's those but there was never a, a a race to get more amongst most of the hobbyists at least that, that i knew at that time um 
Yeah, I mean, I, that's of course, I, I don't want to blame a species. Uh, a lot of people think I rag on ball pythons as a species. I don't hate the species at all, guys. It's not the species, it's what we did to the species. Um, and we basically commercialized, you know, the heck out of them, right? To the point that that was, you know, we put that in front of everyone else's eyes. And now we have all, we do have a section of these hobbies that that's the main priority when they look at these animals. We can't deny that, right? We created that. Uh, but buying that before that happened, um, it wasn't the the main idea behind it. You know, you didn't hear it as often as you do nowadays. You know, the joke inside joke, like oh, I'm going to pay my mortgage with a couple of ball pythons. Like, oh, let's just learn how to keep them alive first and feed them and deal with the headaches of feeding them. <laughs> you know, at first, right? So, anyways, that's that's how it was back then. It was a lot of it. It was just kind of like new and learning, and it was just sharing information and and for me. Um, it was not. I never looked at them as pets. Um, it was. It was more of a biology uh, a project. You know, just like let's find out, let's learn about these things. That's and then a part of breeding it was to learn about the full reproductive cycle. Um, you know, about them and, and firsthand experience. I mean, like, how cool could, would it be to actually see a clutch hatch? I've been watching all these Nat Joe um, documentaries all my life and stuff, right? And I'm like, oh, you know, to see that in front of you. And that's what it was. That was the driving force for a lot of us in the hobby at that time. You know, we grew up looking at books, you know, Bill loves pictures and, and these books that we'd go to libraries to just come back home and just, you know, carry all the way back with this book. You know, before the time of Google, it was crazy, man. It was, it was wild. It was the Wild West, but it was, it was beautiful in that sense because it was just um, fresh discovery. And then, of course, like when we had like new aspects of the, the world opened up, like when Asia opened up to us, like the Asian species started coming in, Madagascan species started coming. I remember with Crested Geckos, I had a wild-caught pair of Crested Geckos. I traded someone, I can't remember what it was, a wild-caught group of Crested Geckos, all right? Straight up, okay. So that was that was that was so awesome, guys. I mean, it was mind you, I'm not really even that old. Those guys will go way back. Even will tell you even cooler stories than that. But it was just this cool, cool um, uh, freshness about it all that um, those that was, that was kind of seemed to have been lost along the way with people. Um, one of the things too, of course, we as much as the internet is great, and I'm not ragging the internet. It's you know wealth of information there. But the problem is we don't seem to have the right guidance. To what is the right information is always the case, right? And that's there's no filter. Thinking. Yeah, there's no one filtering. Exactly, right? Because I mean, it's all based on experience level, and because everyone has a voice on the internet, which is great, by the way. Um, it it also kind of yeah makes it hard to, to filter out what's what's right and what's what's appropriate for you and, and what works for you and stuff too. So, I find like I'm what I'm trying to do, not not really trying to do, but it seems to just be happening with uh, my friends up here. Is like it, and there's a mentoring thing that's going on that. Uh, I always open myself up to people. Like, don't message me if you've got questions. Even if you bought it from someone else and that breeder is not answering your questions, fine, I'll answer your questions, you know, because I'm not putting myself out there, guys, because my inbox gets pretty full too sometimes. But um, it, seriously, it, at the end of the day, it's for the animal anyways, and it's about keeping that person interested in the hobby. Too. And that's what grows the hobby uh, and, and keeps that passion. And that's what helps people get motivated to, to work on laws and legislation to protect us. You know, that not just money. Money's there's enough of a driving force there sometimes to a lot of people, but it's transient, you know, it, it comes and goes. But that passion there, I always tell people, I know I've, I've seen a lot of guys get into it hard. Second year, third year, they're just like, this is not working out. Incubator crashes. They lost this important snake, blah, blah, blah. I did it. I did. I, I lost a very important snake. I, I waited an extra year. Uh, it was a bull snake. I waited, waited an extra year and uh, to raise a really huge, thick as a pop can, like they used to say in the back in the day. A six foot animal, and um, 
or six plus, six and a half roughly. And uh, yeah, I got fully egg bound the first time I bred her and, and eventually passed. You know, I, I wasn't sure what I should go with. Uh, at that time, I was actually living in a rural area too, and, and the vet wasn't immediate right away. So I actually have to have like a two and a half hour drive or three hour drive to, to get to a vet in rural roads. Wow. Um, yeah, and then, so I was, you know, I had to, at that moment, I had to deal with them. Within a week, she, before I could actually get into a vet at that time, within a week, she passed. Um, I ended up actually waiting for her to pass the eggs, which at that point, of course, now in hindsight, maybe I should have manually aspirated the eggs and got them out and so on and so forth. Learning curve, as I said, right? But uh, that killed it for me because I'm like, well, if I didn't breed this animal, it would still be alive. And I had conscience issues back then about it. But um, part of what I learned, too, is that in the wild, this does happen, too. Uh, maybe not with a high occurrence. Maybe there's things that we are doing that can alleviate that. Maybe there's something that I did that actually created that. So that's where I took it a different approach now and then try, trying to tweak things. Let's learn why that's happening. That's what's happening. And and, and what's making I think it that's happen. A... And... Sorry, I totally just cut you off. No, no, <laughs> go ahead. I, I can go on a rambling here. But... <laughs> um, I think that's a very interesting view to take. Um, because with us, like, obviously, you are much more invested in this than I am. Like, this is your passion. I came in second. But... She's looking at me, by the way, for the people who aren't looking mm-hmm. for the uh, oh, sorry, the you, video. Joe. Yeah. Sorry, you, Joe. This is your passion. And so when, like, a snake seems, like, a little sick, a little something, like, he takes it so heavily, way, way more than I do. And it's, like, and I think... It's it's something to remember that like this happens in the wild too. Like it's not you know yes there are there's something there to say though. You, it, it's it's so interesting how much it affects you. Yeah. When a snake gets sick. There's something to say about like the immediate action and worrying, and then there's also something to say with the like shit's gonna happen. Forget about it. Move on. But it's like very very hard when you're very very. Uh, invested emotionally in the animals unfortunately that um yeah whether it's time money like all of it wrong if you didn't feel anything let's put it this way it would be wrong if you told me you didn't feel that yeah if if you can raise if you can raise a baby you know three to four years to adulthood you know that's something i don't know that's yeah. something to me that's that animal yeah. is mine then and it's very very hard then to even move on with that animal at but any it's point just, i don't it's i i want i understand the sadness and everything but to not you know psychoanalyze you know every detail and every step that you you've can't done. dwell on it right also. like that you've done yeah. you know that where the mistake or something could have happened you know i think that's also mm-hmm. important well, yeah, you got to see if it's a husbandry issue, what's going on, feeding issue, like, and so... Live and learn, brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, Vanna, you said that, that you kind of lost a little bit of your motivation from that incident. Yeah, yeah, I did. It, it, it completely killed it for me. I, I got rid of everything. I, I sent out my animals to my friends and stuff, and I, I stayed out of the hobby, and, you know, long story short, I just kind of put myself into living life and got into working and, and all that so and so forth. And, but after I kind of... Got back into, I actually chanced upon a good friend of mine um, that actually uh, moved back to a city where he was born um, from the past. And anyways, I ran, ran to him. He, bought a, he opened up a reptile store in the town I was moving to. And then I bumped into him again. That kind of rekindled things again. And uh, I kind of owe it to him actually to kind of, you know, 
used him along the way as my source to kind of re- get back these species because he actually had, had now got a, a business now for himself. Uh, he was running, actually he was running two businesses at that time now. He's actually got a frozen feeder business that I work with him for now. Um, but yeah, so that kind of rekindled things again. I had access again. I was just in a better place in life again. I'm just, you're more mature. You're, more, you're a little wiser. You, you learn your mistakes. And you go like, ah, oh, maybe I was a little rash. Maybe I should give myself a chance or, you know, the passion is still the passion, man. You, you can. You know, once you're, it's, it's the same thing I say with my, my music, too. You know, once you're a metalhead, always a metalhead. You know, it, once you're passionate about animal, once you're a dog person, you're always a dog person, so on and so forth, right? Um, and, yeah, so I just kind of took that, and I just went back and I realized, I mean, with the losing animals, it, it's hard, man. I, I'll be honest with you. Anyone, any breeder that tells you that they don't lose animals is lying because just by the sheer number of animals that you do end up keeping, uh, the odds are you're going to lose, you're going to lose babies. You're going to be dealing with babies. You're going to have to maybe call, put down, or maybe uh, take to the bed. So like it's, it can be pretty nightmarish sometimes and overwhelming to someone who just expects this dream state of everything just, you know, being glamorous, like I was portrayed on, on online or sometimes. Right. And then it, it, I'm not trying to create a realism about it. It's just that um, these things do happen. It's, it's nature. Uh, it's up to us to see what we can do better for the animals. And I've always kind of looked um, to dog um, breeders um, for inspiration of a lot of things or, or, or tips and insights um, as far as how I want to conduct myself with snakes as, um, as a hobby or maybe as a business student or as a breeder. Because there's an integrity that, that, that needs to be still retained in the hobby, that these are still living animals, that there's, there's still... Uh, variability with them. There's still, you know, genetics, man. Genetics is not just about Morris, brother. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's just it's about there's so many variables. You know, it's not just create the link to um, neurological issues and stuff. There's traits linked to lots of other things. You know, and there's just there's, I swear there's traits linked to being feisty <laughs> because I have probably the feistiest blood rate corn snake line that I know. Every single baby that I've had, I've got three generations of them now. Um, and every single baby that's come out, uh, they don't, they're not bitey, they, they, they head butt. <laughs> it's so weird. They never, t- they never relax. They did a complete opposite of corn snake. Um, feed response, I believe is also something that's also genetic. And I mean, there's so many things about nature that we're still kind of just barely scratching the surface, surface at, right? So, and I think, I mean, we can leave it to the scientists all we want to discover these things, but who's really taking the time to you know, for these kind of little things like that to discover, right? I mean, sometimes, yeah, when they go out, they discover natural habits, but sometimes some things are discovered in captivity, you know, because you don't really ever get an animal comfortable enough in the wild in your presence to be able to do that. Or sometimes we didn't have the right gear. I mean, right nowadays we got drones and other new equipment. We can get to areas that help us with, you know, the documentary footage that we see nowadays. But um, there's still some things that still being discovered in captivity in zoos and stuff like that too, right? So... Uh, there's something we said about that, you know, private collections uh, being a necessity uh, when it comes to just kind of like a species bank, I see it as, you know. Um, I've heard of different uh, projects also where they've actually gone back to private individuals. I think there's the Galapagos tortoises, actually. They went back to uh, private individuals, actually, to bring, re-release um, baby uh, tortoises back. I believe um, there was a guy in uh, in Arizona, actually, which is weird because you would not think that you would be able to breed galops in Arizona, but he yeah. had actually bred the only galops to ever be bred in captivity, I believe. Really? And it was a private keeper in Arizona. And I mm. wish I knew his name 
and the facility because they deserve it. Wow, that's but, great. That's yeah. Is that awesome? Yeah. So you know, it, there's still there's still a need there. You know, I mean, as much as people, uh, I say people. I mean, uh, the media and things like that portray that the pet trade is to blame with this wild population. I'm not going to defend the pet trade in that sense. There is an impact that is undeniable, um, but it's kind of a there's a section of it that is a necessary evil that needs to happen because of what's happening out there. Because what we've created out there, there's a little bit of a onus on us to do something about it, but within what within our means, right? And that's the way I've always looked at it. Uh, I don't read, I still don't feel. I mean, there is a, a certain of um, commercial aspect to what I'm doing right now because it it is part of my living right now. But in being part of my living, it just makes me better at what I do, also. But um, what was I trying to get at earlier? But yeah, just kind of keeping a passion, guys. You know, I mean, you know, just without actually getting into uh, the, the money side of it or even the, the, the statistics or data and, and you know writing down all I used to write down every single shed for all my snakes I used to still I mean my collection is going a little bit now but even at 150 snakes um, I lost you guys there for a sec um, 150 snakes I was um, writing down every single shed even for babies I was growing up it was a lot of work and so I, there's certain things systems like I said I, I, you know I told you guys earlier about it just kind of dropped along the way and you know but whatever you have to do to keep yourself passionate in the hobby is what you need to do so yeah I think that's a you know that's a line that we are walking a lot as far as uh, we want to give our customers like the most information that they could ever have and but we also need to um get out of the snake room like and sleep sometimes so <laughs> so we're we can't document every single thing that a baby's done you know every time it goes to the bathroom or something uh, that would be great but unfortunately it's yeah. not feasible at this at this moment right yeah 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 i mean but again i mean the, sometimes you 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 might be able to do that now but now i, I just recently had um tried out actually i got a, a wi-fi camera and I actually placed it in a tub with my one of my speckled king snakes. Uh, she was. I just noticed that she was actually going to a lay box, and maybe and then there's a weather system coming in. Weather system coming in, and yeah, I actually caught on video. She. I didn't catch the full egg laying, but I caught palpitations and stuff like that. So I actually got to see for how long and how often palpitations were happening and stuff like that. So that was kind of neat to also observe, and also to know that you know. And I saw firsthand like the 24-hour window with oxytocin because I did end up with uh, the same female actually getting egg bound. Um, I'm not sure whether because it was timing or I interrupted her. Um, she was kind of a special case animal for me too. Uh, are you guys still with me here? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't... Okay, good, cool. Um, I, she, I got her as an adult female already, and um, I was going to guess her age, and I put her at about seven, eight years old. Um, I was trying to scramble to try to find a male, and of course, you know, up here it's really hard, right? So I was eventually imported a pair, raised up a male, you know, got old enough, bred him. I think... Um, the part of me is I, I believe in the theory that, that there's females that go too long without producing the first litter don't have the right muscles developed enough uh, to to help with egg laying during when it comes to time when they actually have contractions and oxytocin is going through the body and stuff. So um, I believe that's what ha what happened that night. Um, sorry, guys. <laughs> I had the mic there. Um, and uh, she's still currently holding on to the two eggs. That she has left in her. She, I think what happened, she got tired out, and that's what it was. Um, but I'm going to keep feeding her, and she'll probably um, push them out here in the next little while. Um, I've had that happen. I used to be 
pretty stressed out when females get inbound, of course, you know, with my story before my female bull snake there. Um, but I've learned over the years that sometimes it's just best to leave them alone um, and give them the opportunity to, opportunity to move things around internally, uh, give them space, give them the right heat and temperature gradient and stuff. Uh, and things will write themselves by themselves most times, it seems like. And, and just by food and movement, peristaltis, it, it's going to pop it out usually. So. Is there ever a moment where you're like, okay, so now I start to worry? Or, you know, when does it oh, the worry doesn't end? Moment there? The whole worry doesn't end, guys. Like, it does not end. I'm still worried. I'm like, as I'm talking to you guys, my eyes are going right there because she's right in that tub over there. Um, no, of course, I'm still worried. You know, as part of me still going like, oh, maybe I should, maybe I should not, right? But um, again, like I said, like my collection, being honest, I have this bunch of people to deal with now. Uh, it's, it's, it's just something, it's, it's just part of what you have to do. Uh, it comes to a point where you have to watch the animal. She's still eating. Uh, um, her body tone's still good. Her activity levels are still good, right? Um, so that's why I'm still kind of monitoring along the way anyway. So you can't just, just leave them be, too. You still have to keep an eye on that. Uh, if it ever comes to a point where, you know, if I see something change in her behaviors and stuff like that, and I mean, I'm checking her deck twice a day, especially now because I'm checking for eggs anyways, right? So um, if anything changes at all, of course, I'll have to intervene and do something about it. So I've heard a bunch of different ways that people have intervened, whether it's, you know, palpating out or taking the syringe and popping an egg pretty much. Um, what is kind of your preferred method of doing so if you have to? I don't know. I'm, it's, it's, it's really hard because it's very, very case dependent. Like I said, I'll, I'll use this situation, for example. If it came to a point of, okay, it, she did, she's starting to show signs of lethargy, for example, um, I would actually call a vet right away. I would actually try to, you know, use um, drugs to actually reduce the stress levels to actually look after what other issues are going down, why she's going downhill. There could be something going septic in there. I don't know. Uh, could be calcium. I don't know. Um, let's find out those things first. Um, sometimes, you know, I, it's it's easy to self-medicate and do all these things, but like I don't want to preach that either. But and and part of it is some things that you do can you you can do that at home, but. When it comes to things that could threaten the life of my animal, I usually, especially when I go like, I can't, I'm not 100% sure what's going on. Boom, got to go to the vet. Absolutely. I think uh, most of the times we're kind of encouraged to um, use our own methods and uh, you learn it from someone on a forum or a yeah. Facebook group and it doesn't right. always the safest way. <laughs> True, but I mean, I'll have to be honest too, and I mean, I don't want to release, well, I'll probably receive backlash for this, but whatever. Um, but I don't want to blame vets for this, but it's really, really hard to find good reptile vets. That's all. This is not a thing that plagues the hobby, right? You know? Um, so to get, I've had so much misinformation given to me, and, and I've heard from friends and stuff that's just like, what? Really? Like things like, oh, let's like, increase the humidity on your uromastics. Like, really? Because that's going to help it. Wow, that's going to help it. All right. Like, you know, so there's, there's that there also, right? So you're going to kind of keep that in mind, but you don't want to rush. And, and unless you have a good vet. I mean, I have a vet that's half decent. She's willing to learn also with my advice to the species, the specific advice I can give her. But she also, of course, has her technical background um, expertise too. So I try to use that um, as much as you can too. But use your vet, know your vet. Uh, if they're not... Um, open to learning with you and from you. Um, I 
hate to say this, but I advise you to find someone that's more open-minded than that. That is, is um, because there's a lot of things that we're learning, learning even in the hobby that changes. You know, drugs that used to work that we were like, whoa, those we can't do that anymore, or drugs that are okay with this species that will like straight up just kill this other species. You know, so there is things, there is valuable information in the hobby that can be crossed over with veterinary medicine, and, and I believe in the future that that can be symbiotic, working together um, somehow. But um, we'll see where that goes, right? So it's still it's still young, though. I mean, reptiles are still just branching. And I mean, I, I mean, granted, of course, bearded dragons are one of the most popular. I think the most statistically popular yeah. now, the highest number I think in U.S. households. Um, I do not know that. Yeah, I, I think they, I think they actually overtook dogs and cats, um, or at least one of the top three, the top three, at least um, for. Uh, most commonly kept animals. So, um, yeah, it's still, yeah, it's still, there's, there's a lot of commercialization that is happening that is helping bring it to the forefront with the hobby. So, um, like the big companies that we have in the hobby that are with the products that they have that pretty much make things, things plug and play uh, and makes it less uh, daunting for a, a, a beginner, you know, to take on a species or, or take on just even keeping reptiles, right? So, um, it's it's great though. I mean, uh, being in it long enough here and, and seeing the progress of the, the progress of the hobby and, and the evolution of it, it's great how you, everything's so symbiotic and everything works just like how it does in nature. Actually, it it, it does. It uh, you need the commercial side of it, you need the the hobby side of it, you need the veterinary side of it, right? You know, it's just a matter of using the right thing at the right time when you need to. And I think what's interesting, obviously, you're in Canada and here in the United States, a lot of younger folks, we're kind of very, very spoiled as far as we kind of come in right after like the big commercialization of, of the industry, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s, and then through the ball python stuff. So we kind of have all these things in place. But um, is Canada any different? I mean, I'm sure the, the market is a little bit different, maybe you know yeah i mean the stuff that was like when exit um, when zoomet was having it i mean we had the same stuff up here too uh, as far as the commercial companies that were active back then maybe not as much of the uh, smaller companies um but obviously the, the top dogs were definitely present here um and and did shape the, the hobby up here too it's just it canada is not so much that it's, it's behind it's just a, it's a numbers game right it's just we just don't have the population density up here it, it looks like a big country that's not a lot of us up here right and, and it's pretty spaced out too we don't have a you know the hubs of the main city centers whether they're the, you know it's the thriving communities that have you know that happen right um but then you have all the spaces in between in the provinces that you know the, the sparsely populated provinces that are you know struggling to kind of keep a small little community going you know so um as a whole i think it's it's really neat it's um there's some places uh, that are that have evolved to be stronger, and and we we can learn from those communities too, right? So, um, yeah. Again, I, I look at it very open-mindedly. Like I said, there's, there's nothing that's ever limiting um, in Canada. I think there's always room to grow too, and it's it's just a matter of getting the right person, getting the right person who's got the right passion, the right um, uh, willingness to learn, um, and yeah. And that's who's going to, you know, people like people like that is what's going to keep the wheel turning in the hobby. Right. And that's what's going to keep things growing. Absolutely. So backtracking a little bit, um, when your friend opened up his pet store, is that when you decided to focus on king snakes or was it later on? No, 
King Snakes was actually an old passion of mine from way back already. Like I, uh, I used to network with a lot of good old uh, King Snake guys in Florida. I don't know what it was with King Snakes. I, um, I can't. Sorry. Uh, oh my god. Um, that's just give me a twenty percent battery warning here. Uh-oh. Uh, I might have to. I might have to relocate positions here so I can actually have this plugged in. No problem. But, uh, so bear with me, guys. Um, but uh, yeah, King Snakes were, were always a long time passion of mine. Um, I'm not sure exactly what animal started it. I did find uh, an albino. Um, is this gonna work with the light back there? Um, I had an albino cow king. Uh, was one of my second snake um, when I started keeping snakes in Canada, and maybe that's what it was. I'm not. I'm not sure exactly what to pinpoint. It just. It was maybe the kingsnake.com website that we were on, and and I just kind of. Maybe they were more immediately available. I'm not sure, but I, um, just took off. It just. It took off. It, it was, I started networking with a lot of kingsnake guys back then. I mean, a, a, the big name I want to mention, a shout out to, is Mark Kennedy. Uh, a lot of guys know him from uh, Florida. Sorry, you guys. Bear with me. Um, and he, he was a big inspiration because I used to talk, have you know, chats with him. And you know, of course, just like what mentoring does, um, you you feel the passion from the other person when when you talk to someone, right? Um, and and yeah, I just got inspired by what he used to see in the wild, what he was working with back then, uh, and with Florida Kings especially. He was working with a, a very early, early precursor to some of the flame line stuff that's working on. And actually, he actually shipped out some stuff to me. Uh, he sent me um, locality um, Florida uh, Miami corns back then. I had a little care package sent up to me back when I was in um, middle of nowhere, Saskatchewan. Um, I, mean, I told you I was living like three hours away from uh, a main city for a good bet, but uh, yeah. So the, it was he was he was kind of it was definitely pivotal uh, with the king snake thing, and um, I don't know. It's just a natural. It's just something about them. I don't. I want to say there's just something about them. I know exactly what's what about them. They're just curious animals. They're just very very. They're just super hungry garter snakes. Just like how garter snakes seem <laughs> to be really alert and visual. <laughs> They're just a lot more powerful. Let's just put it that way. I mean, and that's the other thing that kind of gets me going to that. You know, the new study that came out that uh, King Snakes are the most powerful constrictors, um, pound for pound, compared to pounds and pythons even, and how their muscle striations actually, you know, help with that and stuff. So, um, I don't know. There's so many things about that being, you know, immune to rattlesnake venom and and just seeing how they've adapted to be uh, masters in in their niche. I mean, these we're talking about big animals back in the day. We're talking about six plus foot animals you know out in the wild commonly right taking down and you can see the, the transition even in diet from like the eastern kings uh, further up the the north uh, northeastern coast and then when you come down to south florida and you have the heavier body like rat eating cane field rat eating king snakes i mean like i don't know that's all that stuff knowing that knowing the landscape topography and then just the background and, and then reading newspaper um, um scientific papers and stuff like that dude just kind of like they say, it's dangerous. The more you know about something, right, it just kind of sucks you into it. So, um, yeah, I just, I just love them. Uh, of course, I, I focus on the Gatulis uh, complex um, because I like the size of them, and I think they're, to me, they define uh, what I, I like in king snakes the most. Uh, they tend to be the most of Fiofagus, um animals compared to. Some of the montane species are more uh, lizard eaters. Um, 
Uh, that being said, though, South, uh, Florida King Snakes, I don't believe them to be as ophiophagous as Eastern King Snakes, um, because, purely because, like I said, they developed the taste for rat rodents when it moved down south and to develop the size to take them down, too. Um, but, uh, yeah, I can go on and go on about them. And it's sure beauty of them, man. Uh, the, the, the shield scales, right, the name themselves, like the genus name that describes them. Uh, and um, I, I've seen behaviors, guys, that I mean, uh, not to anthropomorphize this, um, but when I'm introducing animals and I can see social recognition. Social recognition has been re recognized in snakes already, so it's not a new thing. But I, I'm seeing that in my Flores uh, king snakes. I, I know friends, uh, good close friends of mine that are working with Florida kings communally. Uh, raising them up as halflings, uh, females altogether, um, and and no issues at all. Uh, I I I noticed males recognize female snakes because they have an insane feeding response. Anyone knows king snakes, they have a crazy feeding response, which is why I'm trying to bring them to Canada because everyone's going ball pythons don't, don't eat. I'm like, here's a king snake. Here's something that right? anything and everything. And your finger all the time, and it's yeah. And you know, and they don't have really that much of regurgitation issues. They, you know, they, they, they'll eat. They'll can. They'll not that I push my animals to say that, right? But you know, I do feed myself and my snakes in a very um, sporadic way. I don't. There's no set sizes for uh, adults. Um, I do introduce variety in size and type of prey item too. But so occasionally, they've taken some big items, and it's amazing what they can healthily digest and to given the right amount of space right amount of temperature uh, right temperature gradient and humidity and stuff right so um yeah uh but you always still see to this day i i like i said go to event i expose um with my buddy there um i don't do it personally myself for a video file um but uh i get people all the time it's like oh is he gonna fit that mouse inside that body you know through that head right you know kind of thing and it's like King snakes are limited in a sense because they don't have a, a quite a, as much of a stretch as uh, rat snakes do because they're not used to that, right? They haven't um, as developed it as much as, um, because, because obviously for the snake diet, but uh, they still can still take down a decent size. And uh, you got a, you know, five, six foot king snake. You could, you're taking down, you're feeding a medium rat, you know. Uh, I got some couple of big boys here that, <laughs> funny story here, there's a side little note there, one of my big boys, I love these guys. Um, I have a cage open. I was going to do some cage maintenance, and I had my help there. And just talking with him, I was walking by, and this is how insane the feeding response is. But the awareness, um, I was, and I had my hand moving up, and my my arm went up, and my thumb just stuck out, just so by the side of the cage, and it latched on, and it just sucked right in. The next thing I, know, I just went, oh, like <laughs> we have a king snake now, right? I'm like here we go. And of course, it's my big guy. I'm like here we go. Now this is happening. So we take him out. I was going to walk him to the sink, and as I'm walking, he just let go. And he just stopped. And he was like, "All right, put him back there." Right? I mean, they. Um, I've noticed that they're very sensitive to the mouse, but uh, even when biting female. Uh, like I said, I was going back to the story by introducing females to males in the tubs. Um, by the way, I'm very open about how I breed animals. I don't have any secrets. I'm not one of those guys like, oh, this is you no, know, this is the way I do things. This is the way I do things. So please try it out. Like, see if it works for you. But uh, when I introduce females to males, males will come up with a food food response and will will try to grab the females right away because they just they don't even focus on the eyes at that point. They just kind of go any movement. Boom. I've seen snakes refuse uh, a rat right in front of them. And a water movement, the water bowl takes attention more and just go for it, right? It just, they, they don't even think. It's just like, oh, right? So, uh, and then it, they'll, they'll, 
they grab the female, and instantly there's just a, there's a recognition. You go, they just let go, and then there's they stop. The food response is over. Like I can only go there and just like kind of scratch him in the neck if I want to, or whatever you want to touch him like this. You know, they've lost it. Uh, my males act a lot more uh, calm when my females are in the tub while together with them. When the, uh, whether they're locked or not, or whether they're even together or not, um, of course, sometimes some females are not ready. You have to take them out. But when they're okay being together, there's a sense of calmness that the males seem to have. They don't seem to uh, be in food mode as much. Um, so I don't know. There's little things, again, like I said, I, I, I'm picking these things up as I go along to just honing in on just one species too. And that's probably something I've always gone back and forth with. Um, do I diversify uh, or do I focus on one thing? I kind of seem to be doing both. Because <laughs> um, well, the there's so many kings. Right, snakes, right. I was about yeah. to say, you can well, focus on the... kings, but then you can diversify within kings, which is great. Yeah, I mean, and I do, like, I, three quarters of my collection is king snakes. Um, and I do have a few other ones here and there too. And of course, that being said, like I, I um, everyone has that. Eventually, you get to the hobby that you're never really going to just be stuck with one animal. Even if you're a ball python keeper, I'm sure you're keeping fish at home or something. Are you? Know I mean, you're an animal lover, right? So at the end, at the end of the day, right? So um, yeah, there's always a couple of little other species that have caught my eye along the way. I go like, oh, maybe that one, you know, and. Over the years, you try to be a lot more picky because you realize you can't keep them all. <laughs> but, um, and also you realize that there's some limitations to also how you can keep animals um, as opposed to the next guy too, or uh, limitations to your room, or limitations to your system and stuff, right? So, um, yeah, just, you know, kind of just go with it kind of thing and, uh, and just see what come, happens. And, um, you know, people say, oh, what are you going to get into or what species are you going to get into? I don't, don't really... Uh, plan on too much things like that it's just kind of in the moment kind of thing um but yeah king snakes will, king snakes will always be my thing though when you first got started uh so it seems like you had a lot of interactions with u.s keepers was there anyone in canada doing colubrids or king snakes in particular at the time that you could you know purchase from or, or that was breeding at like any that. number like back then when, when it was oh yeah um, actually, I, sorry, I, I should actually t uh, totally mention a, a, a big inspiration, a Canadian inspiration of mine. Uh, is, um, we, we jokingly call him Uncle Roy Stockwell, but uh, he, uh, oh, most of the Canadians from back then know his name. He was a household name, Roy Stockwell. He was responsible for uh, a line of uh, Kenyan Sandbo was actually that's popular in the United States too, actually. Um, a nuclear line, I believe. Uh, and um, he's still, I think he's still breeding a little bit, you know, on the side here and there. But uh, he's definitely dropped off from what he used to be. He, he wasn't a, a breeder that was um, always into keeping lots of animals. Um, he's had a little bit along the way, and he just his expertise was just far none because he was he had the experience. He was one of the few guys in the hobby back then that had the experience by just learning things by himself. That was just you know all those invaluable lessons, uh, and just a great guy to you know to 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 boot right. So he was always available and always reached out and. Yeah, he was he was definitely an inspiration, and I, he he would have you know a lot of clutches. Like I said, back then it was more, uh, more like oh you heard about someone having a clutch and like hey you know, and then you message them and then you know, got to know them, and then you actually kind of develop friendships along the way. Um, and then next thing you know, you're basically selling to friends <laughs> over the years, you know. Um, and that's the way I look at it too. Even now, um, with uh, the customers I have and, and people I deal with and stuff, uh, I try to keep that approach too. I always keep it, I keep myself um, approachable. 
because of that, because what I was taught, the opportunities I was given um, from, you know, Mr. Stockwell too, right? So, yeah, uh, Roy was definitely one of them. And, and another breeder that was actually closer uh, to um, where I used to live, um, because I didn't get animals from Roy as often, because shipping was still a factor back then. But um, uh, there was a breeder in Calgary to um, Mark Isbell, as his name, and he was a big colubric guy too, and he was into king snakes, and he had indigos and corn snakes and stuff like that too, right? So that's he was another guy I always like, kind of used to pick his brain from and and learn about things, or like once in a while, like drive out and for spring expos and stuff, and visit his collection and get to see all the things that I could keep, or like I'll put my name on this clutch, I put my name on that clutch, kind of thing, or you know these animals. So uh, yeah, there are definitely a few key people that were definitely uh, influential. In, in shaping the hobby back then, and to various people, of course, like, you know, de- geographically across Canada, right? There, there were, obviously, I'm sure, uh, Ontario, Roy Stockwell was um, a, a big inspiration out there. Um, I'm sure there's other names that I probably miss being out west um, for most part of my life in Canada. But yeah, there were key people, and it was pretty much that. It was, it was just down to the few stewards of the hobby that kind of kept that flame going and, and, you know, and kept, you know, kept inspiring people, right? So... In a yeah. sense, though, it's it's kind of weird that, um, you know, you may have just a few people in mind because, I mean, really, that's throughout the hobby, even in the United States, there's like, especially with a species, there's usually only really two or three guys who work with them. And yeah, that's true. So it's yeah. like, yeah, and those guys, the fact that they're open is what allows the community to thrive. And that's such a big deal. Exactly. Yeah. So it's yeah, like we need to continue to carry that on. If we have the knowledge, we have to do our best to, you know, carry it on as as good as we can. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's why I always kind of every time I've I've gone into a corner um, doing what I do and trying to figure out what I have to do next, I always go back to like, well, when I when someone else offered me that situation, you know, like same thing like with payment plans and things like that. I'm just like, yeah, you know, let's work something out. Like, you know, you know, I have a standard when I do, but um, over the years I've, I've developed, but. Um, just kind of extend the same, you know, courtesies that you're given, you know, as a human being, as, as you grow up, you know, and, and especially as a hobby, that I think is what's going to really keep us grounded and keeping it real for um, uh, for a lot of us. Um, and that's obviously, yeah. So let's get into some kink snake specifics. Well, I wanted to ask, how big is your collection currently? Uh, I don't have exact numbers. <laughs> I don't, I don't keep track of numbers, but I'm going to say about my core collection um, is probably sitting about mm, between 150 to 100 animals, so I'll say 180 animals. Uh, and then, of course, there's, a, a, there's always um, a few grow-ups uh, that I'm, I'm raising up also uh, for the next projects, right? So along the way, um, I have a small group of those. And then, of course, when in a couple of months when baby season happens, then it's triples or sorry not triple who am i kidding in triples <laughs> yeah so um yeah that's where the, my, my main breeders uh, are about 160 breeders and that's probably but yeah 30 40 so it's enough to keep your hands full i think yeah and then i'm also like i, I responsible for when i work at my buddy's place um tyrone uh, for his collection too, that like we also have a collection that we breed to look after and, and, and stuff. And he has probably, he's probably have a, a little bit more animals than I do too, right? So, um, and he's got pythons and stuff too, so it works with. And he's also a wholesaler retailer, so we also have on the other side of it, we actually have uh, other reptiles that I deal with and stuff. So, 
It's really great, man. I mean, like I, I, I took the plunge a couple of years ago to to make this life, um, and I haven't regretted it ever since. It's it's um, amazing journey of discovery, um, and I just and that's the thing. I, I I know a lot of people don't get this opportunity, or you know, sometimes life doesn't offer the chance to just do it, uh, and that's why I want to share this with people. And I'm like, hey, man, this is awesome. This is what you know is happening through me. And of course, you know, with the age of the internet, everyone's you know wanting to peer into your lives, and you know, social media has a weird way of things right but i don't mind sharing this. this this is something that needs to be shared i think this, this is something that i think um anyone who has an opportunity it's not about like oh i have the information and there's no ego in this guy it's just about really sharing the passion um and, and to enrich someone else's experience with the animal and i think what is you know what should be said is the fact that so many people want to be in that exact position that you're in. I mean, you're working for a feeder company. You have a, you know, a large collection. You're breeding animals. I mean, most of the people... And then you get people... to keep animals not at your house that you still, in, you know, like... Right? Yeah, it's not awesome. So, like, I you are... I have a tortoise myself. I just think, you know, sorry? Yeah, like, you are living a life dedicated to this hobby, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's undeniable. I mean, I can't hide it. It's... Um, and, and anyone who's yeah. successful is doing that because that's really the only way to be successful, at least business-wise, if you're going to do it for a living. Yeah, you just have to – I mean, it took time to get to this point to make the plans. I mean, it was, the, it was not completely rash. <laughs> um, those situations that I did work my, my, my collection up to the point to actually get to being able to be self-sustaining. And, then you, you know, and that takes a lot, too, guys. Um, but again, you know, everyone knows there's no surefire formula that works to everything, right? Uh, but so it takes years to tweak that. And then that's when it finally, I felt confident in my abilities um, to take the plunge and try to push it to the point where I could go like, okay, I think I'm ready to step off here and just kind of like take the time off. And, and of course, I mean, the money is definitely not there, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's still a work in progress, you know, kind of thing. And I, I did give, a, give up a well-paying job to do this too, but there's a trade-off and everything. And I don't mind that at all, guys. Uh, but at least I have this to help me out with that if I need to. So, um, yeah. you know, just, just touching on the financial part of it a little bit, right? Just being re- realistic about it. You know what I mean? Definitely. It's always a balance between, you know, mm-hmm. okay, my passion, yes, but also got to pay the bills. That, you know, it's, you got to balance that. Adulting sucks, but we all got to do it, you know? <laughs> right. So, um, did you, so you started with the breeder business with your friend or you came on after? No, 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 no. He's, uh, he's been in that for a while. He is, that's a 10 year business. Actually, we actually celebrated 10 years last year. Um, it's actually kind of a close enough community that funny story, the business was actually existing 10 years prior to him, the, the feeder business, just feeders. Um, and I used to buy my feeders from that business when I used to live in the area. Um, and then I didn't realize he had bought that and took that over. And then he also opened up a pet store. And that's, like I said, I found out about a pet store, a specialty pet store. And that's when I got reconnected with him. Right. But I'm not working for it. A pet store has now been, you know, someone else has taken over with it and has been, you know, doing really great with it. But we're back now with, uh, uh the main feeder business that is now branching out with the both of us, both of us working together. We're branching out with the reptiles more, um, and yeah, it's like, again, it's about staying dynamic, you know, not just pigeonholing yourself into something, just kind of go with the flow, going, be honest with yourself, what do you want to work with, what you're willing to work with. Again, always, I, I, I want to say in a very worrisome way about keeping the passion, guys, because 
we've seen it and I've seen it too over the years when what happens when people lose passion. Uh, first thing, the animals suffer, right? Care sometimes go down, uh, you know, and they start, now they're not treated the same way and they're just being passed off as disposable commodities now because just get them out of here kind of attitude or, or blow them out prices or, you know, and it's just that I feel like it's the, the lifeblood of the hobby that needs to still keep pulsing. Um, it's the passion. And I want to, because I think I know who Tyrone is, but I want to mention him because uh, we had the skin, oh. guys. Can, uh, can we have this conversation with Tyrone? I don't know. Hang on. Maybe I should. Hang on one sec, you guys. Um, See here. Um, I'm just going to... You guys have... Give me one sec here, okay? Yeah. Uh, uh, when he comes uh, back. I want to ask him about. All right. I gotta pick my kid up from gymnastics. Today. I just want to check the. <laughs> uh, no, it's yeah. Tyrone Smith is. Uh, I mean, everyone knows him now because he's on TV now, national TV. Um, that's who you're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. So we had Greg and Chris on, and then Tyrone is on the show as well. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, the scale show that season one yeah. last year. So yeah, I did really great, and they're, they're trying to push together the second season here, guys. So like. Come on, push! I don't know. I don't know what the avenues are, where it is, but you know, you know, go to Animal Planet. It's, like, it's an Animal Planet show, and uh, you know, try to promote it or watch the show where you can online and things and stuff, and try to get the ratings up. I guess because that's why they're trying to get the season two going because uh, they're really passionate about that. But, but yeah, Tyrone uh, and and Greg, they kind of through the business, you know, they're you know, working together in the same area, kind of thing too. We're we're in a different city from Greg, uh, but just still close close friends. I know, and Tyrone's worked with Greg for years, along you know, over the years, right? So it was just kind of natural thing that happened, you know, with that show too. So yeah, really, really stoked for those guys with with that. Yeah, all you Canadian dudes must know each other, <laughs> right? That's what I'm telling you. It's small enough, like it's like, yeah. Even though it's like, hey, bro, knock on the door, right? Each other, <laughs> right? Sorry. Even though Canada is so big, it seems like somehow you guys all know each other. Yeah, I mean, because because of that, right? You kind of stick together more uh, because there's not many of us, you know. Um, I, I, it's funny, I, I see that in the same thing because I've, I've been a metalhead, you know. And um, again, it's one of those things. That it's it's an acquired taste, right? So you're not going to have everyone appreciating the same taste of music of yours. So I, it's the same kind of mentality with uh, with the reptile, you know. Not everyone, you know. There's still the creepy crawly phase. There's still that whole. There's a little bit of defensiveness that we seem to have still with this. Um, with oh, our love for the oddball stuff you know so yeah and we have part, a lot of metalhead snake it's things. a lot of crossover there's there, a lot right? of crossover <laughs> oh totally yeah yeah i know and, and um i've <laughs> i've i've even tried to figure out psychologically to, to even figure out why there's a, a need for some people why they they prefer uh non-furred animals over um uh, furred pets um and i just i don't know it's just a I, I find it to be people that seem to not need uh, a bond with the animal, but just to be able to observe an animal. Uh, and as a curiosity, and, and anyone has a, has a curiosity to nature or to life seems to really favor these things. And I've seen it with people who are even afraid. Uh, when I'm talking about people who actually straight up phobia, they're still curious, guys. I mean, I've seen them in expos, and I mean, I've had tables of uh, rows of scorpions in front of me, for example. This show, we had, uh, we left out and got a batch of emperor scorpions. Uh, and and you should see the look and some of these families are coming in there, but they're still curious. They're asking questions. They're like, "Wow, why is it moving like that?" And they're like, "And they're like, whoa, I can't imagine." You know, they still have that apprehension in there, but that curiosity is what it is, right? So, yeah, it's it's really cool. It's it's I don't know. 
maybe I overanalyze a lot of things too. But again, like I said, when this is life, you know, it becomes part of you, right? So. Yeah, yeah, it definitely makes you think because, you know, it affects whether it's your business or just trying to, in a way, we're trying to figure out like who reptile people are because we're, we're selling animals to them or we're trying to get new people in yeah, the hobby or in your market, right? find prospect people. Research. Yeah, we got to know our market. And totally, and I think yeah, yeah. make it seem like a like a business thing because it's really not. We're just it's a we're also just like naturally curious. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm being naturally curious too. But speaking about um, like one of the the business part of it, one of our biggest things has been feeders. So obviously, first of all, I'm wondering how you got feeders while you're in Saskatchewan, and then also how you um, how you go about it now with uh, taking care of rodents and whatnot. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm not based in Saskatchewan now. Uh, I'm in Alberta, in Medicine Alberta. And when I used to live in Saskatchewan, basically I was just across the border. I was just an hour and a half away uh, from Medicine Hat in Saskatchewan, in rural Saskatchewan. Um, but I didn't have a vet here at the time, and that's why I had to go use a Saskatchewan vet. But, um, yeah, I used to come to the Medicine Hat for groceries once in a while, so they're still traveling. And because of the band, I was in the band before, too, and I was, ended up being based out of here, too. So there's a lot of back and forth. And, um, yeah, I just picked up rodents whenever I came to town kind of thing when I, back then, right? Uh, and then when I did move here, finally, um, yeah, it was just kind of lucked out. I, I mean, I am, I'm really lucky to actually have that on hand, you know, that easily, like, and I feel really bad when I see guys, you know, and talk about, uh, you know, feeders and, and prices and, and availability and things like that, too. I mean, of course, we deal with availability issues, too, you know, that's, that's just part of that whole business and trade, um, supply and demand, right, but um, it's, it's still, it, it's definitely something I'm, I'm not, I'm not um, uh, unaware of that, uh, I'm lucky enough to have the opportunity to actually work alongside with someone who's a feeder business. What is it going to take to um, finally balance out that availability thing? I feel like across the board, at least in all of U.S., there's the rat. Finding small rats small during rats is a ball hard, python is, breeding season. So everyone knows that that's a hole in the you know, like that's a deficient. Yeah. Why someone, I mean, I maybe asked, maybe very naive. Well, because not that. many people want to care for it? rats, I suppose. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's no. I mean, even with the big producers, like the big producers in the big uh, in the states, uh, they. I don't think there's a. It's 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 because it changes throughout the year because there's never really a a boom. Um, there's not there's not a consistent uh, amount that is needed throughout a, a year even. Uh, from the hobbyists, right? Because of course it's breeding cycle, uh, and of course you have like the python breeding cycle and the colubrid breeding cycle. Because then, you know, in the springtime you're like, oh my god, we need pinkies, all these, you know, or summertime people start stocking up all these pinkies because you got colubrid pinkies coming in um, and stuff. So, uh, and then of course you know boa breeders and python breeders are you know needing all these large rats when they're feeding females. So it is a lot of changes that seem to happen. That, and I mean, I don't know that if if a lot of these companies are accommodating that. And I think that's where it seems to kind of hit and miss. Uh, you can almost tell it's going to be a busy season. And I don't know whether production and, and stuff like that. There's also things that happen, guys, like there's illnesses. There's, there's, they go through a collection, a rodent collection that could, you know, right now, boom, you're, you're not. You're not going to be able to supply that, those guys, right? Um, so there's a lot of variables that can happen within the business, too. And, and the thing is, like last summer, for example, it was, it was heat. Um, it was sure heat. The number 
the, 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 a lot of these growers actually got impacted um, heavily. Uh, we saw a reduction in mice um, supply last year, I think, with most of these growers because of the, the, the temperature. So, you know, there's lots of variables that, that happen yearly, I think. And I don't think that's something that we can ever um, hone in on and say, like, oh, we're always going to. I think it's just always going to keep growing. Uh, maybe we'll get it to a point of where there's going to be more supply. But then, of course, you know what happens when that happens. And it just goes back down and so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, it's just kind of because it's always dynamic. Like I said, that's why I've, I've kind of, instead of us fighting the wave, <laughs> I'm just kind of riding it now. <laughs> be more aware of what happens. And, uh, yeah. Right. Are, do you guys do like a lot of the, the big feeder sources here? Do you guys ship um, throughout Canada? Yeah. Yeah. We ship coast to coast uh, from east coast to west coast uh, to north. Too. We've sent stuff up to Yellowknife and care packages to some hobbyists up there too. Um, yeah, we've, it's been a struggle to try to use the, to, to use the right company um, along the way to the right career uh, that can look after the perishable items that we ship. Um, of course, you know, Winter shipping is great for us up here for frozen rodents, right? So there's no worries there. But summers can really be a hassle, right, that we, we fight with. So um, because, because of where we are located, it's still kind of an arid climate. So we do hit temperatures pretty high. We can get like 30, 35 degree temperatures, um, just like it does down in, not in the extremes of Texas and California and stuff. All the Americans are trying to do math in their head, trying to figure out what the hell 35 degrees is. So, uh, I see. I, I I I I cheat. I go on Google now. I have an app for that. So I can <laughs> we used to have it up. We used to, to have it up all the time. But... Oh, actually, I had a little cheat sheet up here for a while there too. But I don't know. Yeah. Um. Anyways, yeah. Quick shirt. I'm sure you guys can figure that out. But uh, it's hot. It gets pretty Ninety-five. There you go. Yeah. Ooh. So uh, it gets pretty challenging, especially because um, there's keepers everywhere. Uh, main city centers are going to be quicker to ship to. There's going to be rural, rural areas that are going to be harder to uh, service or reach in time. So those are the things we have kind of keep in consideration uh, when you're dealing with uh, customers on a case-by-case basis, uh, depending on the size of order and stuff, right? So, yeah, um, there's lots, lots, lots of cool stuff about it. It's just, it's really neat being on, on both sides of it. Um, so, yeah, a lot of variables that happen. And, of course, in the U.S., has its own set of um, issues too with the states. Though your temperature, you, you guys have just by FedEx shutting down from uh, tornado season, right? You know things like that can happen too. So, yeah, um, like I said, so I'm just going to roll with the punches. So, do you not have a consistent shipping company like ship your reptiles like we have here that you work we- with? Uh, I yeah we have developed in the last few years here we actually have a company that we have I've, I've worked with very closely as much as possible uh, Reptile Express um, that has now um, developed to do a lot of international shipments now and they've actually starting to get really regular US and they've actually they've, they've helped um, the hobby lots um, especially the last couple of years because they've opened up the borders to Canadians accessing things a lot easier from elsewhere. Um, there's, I mean, there's a certain aspect of it that goes where, you know, there's hobbyists here going like, well, you know, what about us breeders here? Why are you importing from somewhere else when you can get it homegrown, right? But right. that uh, you can't really do much about that. If people are going to go where they want to go and, and, you know, they get animals from who they want to get. Um, I, I'm very specific with breeders that I work with. So sometimes I'd rather ship and, and import fees. 
He'll be back in a second. Take off the next five minutes here. Okay. Um, oh. I'm going to pick my kid up from uh, gymnastics here. But uh, uh, sorry, what was I saying? Uh, there was a phone call that came in there. You're just talking about um, breeders. How uh, Reptile Express has kind of opened up. Right, right, Reptile Express, yeah. Um, they, they've been, uh, they've uh, started doing um, monthly imports and exports to the U.S. now. Uh, they've been doing a lot of U- uh, Europe imports too coming in. So uh, the hobby is really starting to grow. I'm trying to start to see, start to see a lot of people being exposed to more animals now. Now people are wondering, oh, what is that now? I can get this now. So we, we're starting to set people back up again. Uh, that's what's happening here. Um, you know, some of us are already set up. Like I've got really, my, I, I do my own imports um, myself, but um, of course, you know, I started later back then. But uh, they've um, really opened the doors up to really uh, get the hobby thriving and getting all these uh, people who normally wouldn't have access to things or, or wouldn't couldn't access wholesale lists or import lists and things like that. You know, they've really brought that closer. Uh, there's also a couple of key people here in Canada, like Dominic and Nelson, that uh, uh, work together, bring a lot of imports in um, from Guyana, um, from Africa, from Indo and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, there's, uh, there's, uh, they, there are gears in the community that are very, very important. And these key, key players are definitely important in, in, in every uh, community. Reptile Express is definitely one of them. Uh, there's also another company that actually started up recently that uh, it's called uh, um, Reptile Runner. Um, a friend of mine opened that up too, and and it's it's just trying to kick you know pick up on its own. It's got its um it's, it's using the same platform too. We all use FedEx as the same platform, um, but they're also starting to pick up as a business also. So we'll see where that goes with that too, right? So um, it's growing, uh, uh, and I love where it's going. So we'll see. And the more competition, the better, pretty much, especially for shipping prices. I mean, this is going to drive the price <laughs> yeah. down. It, it, it's just what happens. Right? I mean, there's always, yeah. everyone wants a monopoly on things, but uh, you, you only have a monopoly for so long, and eventually someone's going to come along and like, oh, that's a good idea. I'm going to do it too, right? It, it, it's just, it is how it is. But that, that's, again, like you said, competition is healthy. Competition is what makes us better as, as people, as, as human, and, and, you know, and take it in stride, go with it, and learn from it, and see what you can do. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Vannon. Um, last question, if someone wanted to reach out to you, how, what's the best way they can get in touch with you? Um, I like to get everyone to, uh, to my Canadian video file page because um, it's just easier for me to organize everyone in there to, to answer questions in there. Um, my personal profile is starting to open up a little bit more too, um, and that's fine on Facebook. Um, yeah, I don't know, I'm on Instagram also, so I guess message me on there too. Um, and that's why on social, those are the three main social media stuff I, I, I use, uh, Facebook pages and my personal profile and Instagram. I'm not working on a website currently yet. Uh, don't really have a need for it yet, but, um, when the need comes, maybe that'll be a way to, so, and I have a email, uh, Canadian video file at gmail.com. Um, if you're not sure how that's spelled, look it up. Sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's, I typo it all the time, dude. Every time I have to type that, I'm like, why do I not create it? Why did I not create it? It's probably the one here, but, but yeah, it's a mouthful. Um, yeah, well, uh, we're, we're sure pork city pythons and don't have any pythons, really, so. Yeah. yeah. 
it happens. But, yeah. <laughs> but um, I feel like we didn't even like get into a quarter of it. So, guys, please check out. He has. Yeah, I'm sorry, my kids in not I got to pick up. No, you're good. Here too. He has awesome Goinai, Speckles, uh, Florida King, some old world rats. We're gonna do another one another time, I guess. Yes, 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 absolutely. And we'll we'll have to have you bring on Tyrone and do both of you guys. Would you be hey, down? That would be cool. Yeah, that would be neat. We could do something like that. All right, cool. So we're gonna stick around for just a little bit and do a little eh, bit of housekeeping things, basically. Yeah. Sure. Thanks so much for being on again. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys, for having me, and um, all the best. See you next of course, time. man. Have a good one. So, as far as we go, uh, well, first of all, it was nice talking to, to Vannon and kind of hearing a bunch of how Canada kind of came up in a sense as far as uh, You know, the I love goes. learning about other places. I wanted America's to ask hat. even more. <laughs> America's hat. That's a new one. Never heard yeah. that before. Okay. But I love learning about new, not new places, but how things work in different places and everything. And so it's always fun. And it is kind of funny because obviously Canada isn't like totally foreign. It's the same, you know, but it's um, as far as the hobby goes. But it's done a lot of ways. So it different. Seems, it, I mean, Tim talking about the fact that like king snakes aren't everywhere is so weird to me because you can find a king snake anywhere here. You, you can know? find like, a king snake in your backyard. <laughs> I mean, but go on any website and there's a million king snakes for sale. And so it's right. so interesting that he's saying like, I don't, I don't know why. It's right there in my head. But it's also head. nice because it gives in a next level of respect as far as, you know, sometimes when things are too common, they aren't held in as high regard, which is has obviously reflected in the market previously on colubrids and stuff like that. But um you know, I kind of wish I was into exotic snakes because people would probably care more. <laughs> but uh, yeah, either way, he has some awesome snakes. So please go check out his page. But as far as we go, we are just this season has been pretty crazy, man. <laughs> has it? Yeah. All what do you mean? Kings, what do you think? With the Kings. That was a big change. But yeah. And we made that move fast, I feel fast like, which we kind of, um, I don't know, I felt like we had to after. And, just, you know, we had a bunch of females, but it was just such a ragtag group. And we kind ragtag. of, because uh, <laughs> we kind of just put it together last minute. And I don't think that's how you should do projects. And I know that, but I don't know. But, but I still, you know, we still did it. It didn't seem that way in a sense while it was going on, but at the end of the day. Um, something we could talk about. So we, you and I have been kind of playing around the idea of like double clutching. And that's something in previous years we've never purposely tried. Uh, did it even happen last year with any of them? Yeah. So I have an idea of who double clutched and who didn't. So at the end of the day, at least my ideas on it this year it may change next year. I don't know, but my ideas on it right now are that they double clutch last year. And for the females who are producing more, for the most part, most of our females are producing more eggs than last year, which means they're growing, they're maturing. That's what I want to happen. And now some of those females also double clutch last year. So they're, they increase the size of their first clutch. So now I'm like, they're probably definitely going to have that double clutch no matter what I do. And you keep in mind so? that double clutch will happen automatically for some of them. So they'll just pass infertile, sometimes even fertile. They can retain sperm. And last year we got um, fertile eggs from Mother McDonald on that second just, one. Just one. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Gosh, so yeah. Uh, she laid one. She laid a couple slugs, I believe, and then just one fertile egg. And then we were moving, so I gave oh, the yeah. egg to Austin. And then that. so Austin Warwick of Ragebeard Reptiles hatched out a fire tessera. Just out of one egg, <laughs> he got a fire tessera, which is pretty, pretty cool. So so you think it's going to happen no matter what. So do we actively right. try? So it's like, why not have her pass fertiles? You know, you might as well. And so what's the kind of game plan with that? Like how long after a corn snake lays should you wait? I probably should be more on top of it than I, I mean, like I said, I don't usually go for it. Right. But that's what I'm saying. So, We're trying this year. So, so maybe I should probably put them together now, but I'm just, it's so weird, man. I wanted to get up to normal size before I start putting them with a male. I feel like to get back to their Right. Right. But some of them, some of them lay, and, and look great, back, right. yeah, or bounce back really quick. Some of them lay, and you're like, yeah, you know, and you just got to keep an eye on those. And those are usually not the ones that double clutch last year, you know, like the ones that are increasing clutch size, the ones that are double clutch are usually females that have a good amount of size on them. Right. But, but I also don't want my all of my females to be overweight, so that's kind of the line that we're treading all the time, trying to feel it out, being, you know, what's a healthy cycle, what's a healthy ramp up so say in three years that female is ready to go she lays eight eggs and then next year she lays 11 eggs and then the next year she lays 13 and then she lays 16 like i don't mind that happening in a nice progression even though we could have we could have fed more often and that third year we probably could have gotten 14 eggs you know, but instead we're taking it slow. And that may be stupid so, for so some people. No. Some people really, well, I think Kaluber breeders, kind of the, the old school mindset was, you know, the more you put in, the more you get out, which is absolutely true. But uh, not trying to have a puppy mill. Well, I think we're already <laughs> like, getting out a lot. We're, right. we're nearly doubling what we had last year. So I think it's more. That's enough. That's I think we for, have enough. I think just yeah. for us, you know, not even right. thinking about the snakes. I think for us, we need a natural progression of what we can handle. Right. And I don't even know if doubling is a natural progression, but like I think we don't need to do. In a way, it's just the, as much for the animal as it is for right. us to adjust to. But then at the same time, I'm so conflicted because it's funny because you're like the ones who laid the smaller clutch are probably not going to be the ones who double clutch, but the ones who laid the smaller clutch are the ones I want to double clutch. So specifically, <laughs> if you guys don't know, our Miami Yoga team. She um, actually double clutched last year. She is a weird oh, exception. Did, but they were all slugs. Yes. But but she is like, she's, she's tiny, but she's thick. and But she's always late. She's yeah. always like behind everyone else and everything. But so if you don't know, uh, we repeated our Miami Oka tea to our reverse Oka tea pairing. And I think last year we got nine eggs, either nine or eight. Yeah, and nine. this year we only got seven. And just uh, thinking about seven, it's not that low, but the issue, my, not issue, but my, my desire for double clutching is because of the variety in this clutch. Like a couple people have been asking us lately, like, oh, do you have pictures of the babies? And it's so funny when we send them like six different pictures, like so many different things come out of that clutch. And it's like, that's why I want and to it's kind of not even, clutch. it's not even anything crazy. She is het snow. He is het snow reverse Ogatee, which is going to be a male het for Anry. And then she is the Miami Ogatee, het for snow, Anry, a So 
Therefore, I mean, we produce snows, yeah, reverse okatees. Uh, what else? Uh, and anneries, but like, and then one but, more, but also, well, just normal, just normal, right? But they're all kind of in their own way different than your normal snow, than your normal annery, than normal your normal that right. that Miami blood, and then also that that high red reverse Okatee has red factor in it. So it makes the babies really confusing of what exactly is always in them. But I can tell you that they're different looking snows. They're different right. looking like, like the annery, the, the gray portion is going to be a little bit lighter and the, the dark saddle patterns really are going to be a little bit darker. And like, to me, I mean, they were, that was, I, I couldn't ask for anything more from that clutch on every level. Right. And despite, even though we love the reverse Okatees out of there, we love the snows, but I think what we really, really were into was the anneries. And so when you think, okay, there's four possibilities of what can pop out and she only has seven eggs, like there's a chance that we get no anneries. And last and- year we only got one annery. We got, luckily we got a pair of snows, which is excellent, male, female, straight up one pair. And then we got uh like four normals or so and two of those normals were a pair that i held back and then two reverse ogatees someone's probably doing the math like you said nine uh oh yeah so maybe there was nine because then two reverse ogatees and like another normal (laughs) i don't know but they were just all really really cool looking and not for the reason we expected and therefore you know, I'm excited about what we can do in the future. And so those snows, I think, are going to be super underrated. But that's the, why I want to double clutch her. Because the Miami, we don't get those. The Miami, usually the, the background color, it makes it lighter. So therefore, those the red factor in the snows that usually makes it pink, for whatever reason, is only really making the saddle pattern very, very pink. And the, the foreground, like background color, I guess you would call it, is staying pretty white. So I'm, I want to see kind of how this plays over time. And and same with the anneries. Are they going to keep that dark? Is that dark color going to stay that dark over time? Is and it it's Okatee, which means that the border pattern is more enhanced, is wider and thicker. Mm-hmm. Therefore, if we thicken that border pattern, and that border pattern's always pitch black. Right. So we can have an annery that... It's not black and gray because it's an annery. It's black and gray because the the border pattern the in the annery is, is so black. intense yeah. that it's actually it's so thick that it's covering it's the like whole masking, saddle. Right. So therefore, like you're getting a true black from mm-hmm. that animal instead of the the regular annery that may fade out over time. That that pattern that outline of the pattern there is never going to fade away it's going to be black it's never going to age out nothing's ever going to happen to it so if we can keep that true black and expand it thicken those borders then you're going to get more black in those animals and then more miami influence more gray you know a lighter coloration and so do you want to i hope that makes sense to everyone yeah so do you want to try to double clutch her or do you think because she's that so weird, between. she's that weirdo, she's she's, so she's weird. small, she's always like, you know, like, I'm so scared we're going to get like six normals in one snow. <laughs> and in a way, I'm gonna be normals so are cool too. Um, no. Yes. But no. <laughs> yes, normals are cool, but that's not I what I want keep, out of that. I didn't keep back any reverse Okatees. 
and oh, the reverse Ogatis are awesome looking. So now it's like, do I have to keep back a reverse Ogatis or do I wait until I'm able to produce more in, you know, because because I, I held double back the clutcher, then you can and still. Yeah. See, I think we should. It's just hard it. because her body structure looks good, so I may try it. Just because her body structure looks good, even though the numbers aren't up to par, you know all that stuff. But she did double clutch. I don't know. She's just different. So even if we, you know, she may throw two eggs. So I think she does everything normally, just on a low level because she's she's a naturally small snake for whatever yeah. reason. And all of her babies, kind of like Vannon, kind of was talking about how. He has a corn snake that were all the blood red. They're head butters. Mm-hmm. So I have a I had a ghost clutch. All the ghosts, all, every single baby from that clutch was flighty, not bitey, just very very flighty, and hasn't calmed down. And that's consistent with the one the ones I held back and the ones that I gave to customers. One hundred percent across the board. That's their personality for whatever reason. And then I have this Okatee clutch where they're all just demons, like like the S-ing up, you know, posing for you, ready to strike at you at all times. And I have to slowly open the, the, the baby tubs because they will spring out of them. Yeah. And that seems to be a trait. The mother has that trait and the babies have that trait. So there's definitely something going on there. I don't know. There's like, something inheritable. <laughs> and then it's weird because I wonder if this year, if the ghosts, some of them will be chilled. And I'm like, oh, maybe that's a temperature thing. Maybe that's a certain condition that made them that way. Or if this pair will consistently create flighty babies, we'll see. Right. But it's something to think so about. So right now, um, we're just kind of looking at you know it, their body structure and everything and seeing, okay, are they ready to handle something, you know, another clutch and everything? Right. And that is going to be, I don't have much experience with that. So I'm just going to play it kind of by ear by observing what's going on and keeping, uh, being cautious. I'm always just super, super cautious with that. But, right. but I figure if they're going to do it anyway, like mother McDonald, she's going to go, she's a big girl. And, and I think knowing that they didn't, you know, obviously if they had, you know, four slugs, we're not going to try to double clutch because something obviously, you know, was going on, but we only had one slug in the hole in all of our clutches so far. And so I feel pretty confident, um, to double clutch it, but it's just something new for us. And we didn't feel the need last year. And it's not like we feel the need this year. Um, just, we know, that there's some interesting cool things that can pop out and I know there's a lot of interest in them and I kind of feel like the <laughs> guilt as you a, you I always want to squeeze all the juice out no but I, <laughs> I kind of feel guilty as a breeder sometimes knowing that there's these people who like got on a wait list and who really really are interested in it and when I have the opportunity to provide that for them without hurting the animal I feel like I don't know. I feel guilty if I don't do that to make yeah. these people wait for a whole year. And it, I mean, it sounds bad, but at the end of the day, our advantage is the fact that we have a unique pair of animals that people are people want. And that's amazing. And part of what's going to maintain that, you know, in the marketplace is the fact that we don't have unlimited I'm supply. So that saturated. Right? Yeah. 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 So but... it's like, it's, 
it's both a good and a bad thing. And we will be getting more and more in the future, but I'll also be highlighting the project more and more. So hopefully over time, you know, even more people get interested and even more people start producing. Once people see that adult reverse Ogatee that Mike Kosicki has, you know, that that looks kind of like the reverse Ogatee on the cover of Kathy Loves Corn Snake book, which I think is like the quintessential reverse Ogatee. And Has it's not it's not like the most recently? fluorescent one. It's not crazy, but it's like very quintessential and I love it. So um yeah, he sent me one like a few months ago, but we'll have not to see. Well, to we need to get one updates. in like a year or so. We need some baby updates. <laughs> yeah. And Ryan Cox said he wants to see an Annery Tessera. I don't know why I said that so weird. Annery Tessera with Ogatee. I can't talk. You act like we never say Tessera when everything in our collections has Tessera. I just, it's my reading isn't working yeah. well. Annery Tessera with Ogatee influence. There you go. Uh, so we do, we do have Ogatee Tessera stuff and we do have Annery Tessera stuff. So what we have going on this year, which should be interesting is we have our Anri Red Factor Tessera. Mm. And that animal is super dark. So that should hopefully satisfy a little bit of our dark urge. But <laughs> if we can... Uh, that sounds weird. Huh? Um, but imagine this. We have that reverse... You know, that Okati pairing. We have an Anri from that pairing. We raise up a male... We bring it back to that red factor, Anary Tessera. And then we make the Anary Tessera. And then you're throwing some crazy stuff, right? But, I mean, if I wanted to go that way, that's the way I would do it. But that would be in due time. So we got to we gotta perfect the, uh, the simple stuff first before we go on, I suppose. But, but that's something that we have potential to do in the future. But it's nothing that I've thought too much about because, honestly, Tessera – it doesn't take much uh, thickening of the border pattern to to make an impact um, just because the, the pattern's so busy. Therefore, you know, there's some thin pattern. I don't know if that makes sense to no. people, but yeah, it makes it easily overcome with that those border patterns. So, I mean, it's not a stretch. It would be something that we can do in the future, but we don't have enough founder stock of the Miami stuff yeah, in order to, to make it possible. Up. We need to build. Yeah. We need to build out each project, which then brings you to the point is like, how many snakes are we going to have to keep? Because just by necessity of moving on our projects, we have to keep more and more. It it's just, no, that's why you sell it to friends. <laughs> the, the ones you really, really like you sell them to friends. So we have the opportunity to, work with them later we just i mean because at the end of the day we only have a certain amount of space here so yeah that's the benefit of having friends yeah and i mean we do have a surprising amount of space you know for we do have that whole table so you know all that stuff we we do have space to be honest but we're talking about our second year of you know, almost a hundred babies or so. So this is just a second year, man. What happens five years? What happens six years? You know, so in the house. It's, it's only compounding. Therefore, there doesn't seem to be an end to this. But... There is. You just stop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At, at some point, 
You cap it. I think what we have to do is stop buying new snakes, which well, is what we always that's say. That's already said. Yeah. But, and we know I don't have to worry about that except for one. It's you. Speaking of that, I'm going to keep saying this till uh-huh. I wish it into existence. I am still on the hunt for a going eye with a perfect stripe. <laughs> you know who has it. one. Uh, we are, so if you... Vannon has exactly the quintessential one that you want the exact phenotype i didn't know yeah so producing them um i don't know but i would feel like a giant trader if i bought a canadian going eye but it's but i can't find one so i mean (laughs) yeah but if you go on what evergreen reptiles page they have one exactly like i want to we're still doing that (laughs) dylan said move back to texas more room that is very true. That is true. Unfortunately, the one downfall of being in the Northeast, besides temperature with snakes, is certainly the space. But once we move out to the sticks, yeah, we got to move out from the city. We're trying to, we try to do something that's not very common in the snake world, which is maintain a collection in a major metropolitan area, which isn't the easiest thing to do. But we can make it we can make it work at this size now if we were trying to be professional breeders just breeding snakes not a shot we that would have to move out for sure yeah i mean and i guess this can go for for anyone else who's thinking of doing this in business in the snake world the snake business you know you want to model people i know that the fact eugene Bissett set a president by going to the Gainesville area, or I believe he's an archer to be specific, but he set his operation up on what was technically agricultural land. So you're seeing this more as a farm and therefore you're getting different tax breaks. You're getting different incentives in order to help you along. So that's really the right way to do it. And I wouldn't be the person to talk about that with because obviously I haven't done it, but most professional breeders are set up that way. And that seems like a very fiscally responsible and very smart way to do it. And therefore, in order to get your zoned agricultural land, you're probably not going to be in West Philadelphia or something. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's just something that and that's kind of something you need to accept as as a snake person at some point, if you're going to let this get out of the hand. Oh, sacrifices, sacrifices for the snake world. Yeah. And you better get your rodents right. any other hobby that has the same amount of sacrifices? I think that that's something that you can see across most things that most people do to this level. So, I mean, even... I'm sure there's some weird knitters out there. I'm trying to think of another hobby that uh, takes that amount. Well, you know, think about, say... A comedian or something they're sleeping on couches they're going to open mics for no money for five to ten years just to be able to eventually make some eke out a living hopefully within 10 years and then hopefully make it make it by 15 to 20 like they're that's not a hobby a hell of a grind there yeah but i'm just saying um i mean even if you're starting most businesses i think people think that when you start most businesses you put out a product and then people like jump on it and you know all of a sudden you're a business in one year i think that's usually like the those are usually the outliers 
you know, most of the time it's someone struggling for a large amount of time, investing all of their money back into the business for five years, right, eight right. years, and then but they reap every, the benefits I'm not, later. I'm saying so. not for us specifically, because obviously we, we want to make this business one day. But I'm talking, talking about people who just want to keep it as a hobby. Mm. You still. Yeah, there's still a level there's of sacrifice. There's still a level of sacrifice just for the hobby aspect. Which is oh, why you see. Hunting. There you go. Ryan brought up hunting. Hunting is a lot of sacrifices with hunting as a hobby. Yeah. Especially for the the partner who's at home. Or think of think the, about like like rock home. climbers or something. Like they go all around the country and sleep on couches and that's literally their lifestyle. They like to be dirtbags. They literally call themselves dirtbags and just live wow. on couches, surf surf around couches around the country and live in vans and do you know they sacrifice everything to climb a damn rock. Which in a way, it's commendable. And I feel like uh, snake people kind of do the same thing. They usually give up their bedrooms in order to put more racks, more tanks, whatever the hell you can do. You make your room 80 degrees and sleep in it. I mean, stupid stuff. And I think you see a lot of guys get back into it. You know, maybe they sacrificed during their young age and then they kind of had to wise up and, you know, throughout their late 20s 30s you know got good jobs or whatever and then you see them get back to into it at 40 and right. they go all out and they have the space and money then so they're able to do it so to to have a person who has kept snakes throughout the whole cycle of their life is kind of rare i can't think of too many people who have always who had a good collection yeah yeah because i think uh whether it's like we touched on before, whether it's sick animals or something happening to your collection or financial or, or financial, life just or... life. Yeah. Cause if you think about it, your life needs to be like stable, stable in order to take care of these animals. Cause they never stop They're They're always stable right. as far and as even they though, you know, they're food. on a smaller level. Snakes are pretty easy to keep as far as like, you not have to feed them every comparison day to and every, anything, right, else, yeah. anything else, but still you have to be like relatively stable. I mean, I always talk all the time. I'm like, I don't know how Ian does it. Ian's traveling all the time. And well, yeah, you have a good partner it, to help you out. I guess. And even with only feeding, you know, once a week, it's still hard. You know, there's people who travel a lot or do different. I mean, and you think about just the quality of your home needs to be good, too. I mean, it needs to be well insulated. You need to be able to heat and cool it and. Uh, I guess we'd be surprised with the places, you know, that people do it that in. people do it in. But in order to do it correctly, there's a certain sacrifices. <laughs> there's a certain level of living that you have to be at, unfortunately. And that doesn't mean that you need to be wealthy. That doesn't mean that you need to have money because we don't really have either of those things. You just need to be able to work your ass off just to feed your animals and be cool with that. Speaking you know. of, we do have a Patreon account. <laughs> <laughs> you want to support this podcast? Or just send make us make a sacrifice, or send us frozen our thawed hobby, pinkies in the mail. I'll be cool with that. Uh, we have a Patreon for Give City Python's Patreon, <laughs> or or one thousand frozen thawed pinkies, please. Imagine that if we're gonna have like hundred and fifty babies, and that's like hundred and fifty. Pinky mice. That's why we need oh, to buy we... an, another rat rack. That's true. So yeah, part yeah. of our plan. Someone wants to send us a rat rack. <laughs> I, 
I hope you guys don't take this seriously. We're not asking you for stuff, but we're just joking. But if it, no, but, no. But if a rat rack falls into our lap, we're not going to be uh, I think sad about it. Our so one of my goals for this year in our business as a whole is to have a self-sustaining collection. So I want to be able to feed my snakes with rodents that I produce. So that's kind of a and that's something that now I tell people who are just getting into it. I tell them that that is absolutely that's a game changer. That is absolutely the number one thing you need to get down if you are planning to do this full time, full time, or even at a good level, you know. And I always thought all these guys were crazy for breeding their own rodents. Turns out they just know what the fuck they're doing because, man, does it save you money? Man, does it not take as much time as I would imagine it to? And plus. I got to be honest, I kind of enjoy it. And dude, the, the rats now, I was petting it like a fucking dog. It oh, was, no, please the, don't. The, the rats please are don't. very, very personable. Since there's only two of them, you can, like, they'll come up to you and they want to be pet and stuff. Stop, They're kind of cool. Stop, stop, They haven't produced, though, at all. So what the hell? And, and I have to say that keeping on top of them and cleaning them often, they don't smell too bad. Oh, yeah. So, Didn't they say, though, the rats are going to take a couple months? Yeah, yeah. So, so we, when did we get the? Oh, I don't remember. It, it kind of surprised me how long it takes rodents to kind of settle in in order to to get to breeding. So, unfortunately, you can't just buy adult rats and mice and put them together and then they breed. They there's a certain level of comfortability that they have to feel, and I'm sure someone who's much better at this would have a much better uh, explanation of it. But my from my just general observation of a small colony, ours took about two months. Whether it's weather, you know, if it's too cold, they slow down production. Too hot, slow down production. But you know, it probably took hours like two months or so to drop their first the litter. Mice. Yeah. But the rats, the, rats. The, the, the rats haven't yet. And it's probably been two months. So, right. you know, but once they get going, they get going. We had that, we had the three females drop at the same time. And there was like, I get to feed all, all of this year's holdbacks at one time with live rodents. and shit's crazy. It was amazing. And so I'm like, imagine if day, I could do that. I might get my freezer back to actually put food in. Well, if we buy another <laughs> freezer, because because I want to start. Uh, pro- them. Yeah, yeah, because right now we don't have like CO2 or anything to cull them. So I'm just feeding live. And honestly, that live is going to help us tremendously getting babies feeding. So previously, you know, if we had holdouts, we would try frozen thawed a few times and then Switch eventually up. try to find some way to get live pinky mice, which is always a pain in the ass. And then and then feeding our problem feeders. And then if they're only taking those, then we got to go back to whatever breeders probably an hour and a half away to get live again. So it will be so nice, even even if we just had a colony big enough to help problem feeder babies that would make my life different that would change my life so 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 i think we'll at least get there so we definitely need that second rat rack by the time we have eggs i mean in a perfect world what's keeping you from building it remember i showed you dallas ruo built his what's keeping me from building it is the fact that i also need to build an enclosure for the olive python and um at the moment that should probably take priority so 
it sucks, gotcha. but there's always things and there's also other things that we need to get snake wise or um, a product that I'm trying to get manufactured and there's money that's going into that. So at this point, we're just trying to figure out um, how to make things work. So we're, we've got our hands in and are so unfocused in a sense because we can't be at this point. I'm working on the product front. I'm working on the mouse front, the rodent front. And then we're also working on the breeding front. So I can't even imagine what's going to happen when all those breeds. Where are you going to put the olive thing? The olive is going to go right behind you. Oh, okay. So it's going to be hard to walk in here. Yeah, yeah, but I need a good six-foot enclosure for the olive python. So how so. far is it going to come out? Like here? Um, No, no, it's not going to come right up to our back. So what I'm planning on doing is probably like a six-by-two-by-two two or so. I don't know. I don't have the exact plan. I'm going to figure it out later. Um, I'm just basically following what, if you guys listened to NPR a few episodes ago, Keith McPeak had these wooden cages in which he told Owen how to build. And now I'm just, you know, asking Owen how to build it. So, so basically I'm just going to follow his plans if I can. So I, I, we just really need somewhere for, I just really want to get the olive out of a tub because olives are cool. So and you're they saying don't, they don't deserve to be in a tub. No one's ever going to be able to actually sleep in here after you built that for the olive. No, plenty of people will be able to sleep on here. In here. Okay. It's also Life like things. 80 degrees in here, all right? Who wants to sleep in here? Well, Ryan Cox is going to be sleeping in here in three weeks. There you go. And he's a snake. <laughs> I'm sure he would love to sleep next I'm to I'm just an thinking of size-wise. Yeah. Yeah, we can throw down but a yeah, bed. Yeah, Ryan, we'll this good. is going to be your room. There you go. It is a felt. No, there's a fan. Yeah, there the is a fan. The fan's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> top, um, top quality okay. fan. We should end this, but yeah. Brandon wants to see the olive. Okay. We haven't taken out a snake um, in a while. So. Yeah, it's also nighttime and she's probably a little bit hungry. So let's see what we can do. <laughs> so let's see how bad that this goes. Well, it's more just the initial. See her head, just the way she's reacting. She's usually like not even caring. Her head yeah. so fast. She's usually not even caring when we open it. Usually she stays in her little... But once mm. I get her up, we should be good. We will definitely have to cut out this part for the download, for the audio. Yeah, just watch your head. Okay. So yeah, here's the olive python. And as you can see, she's about... She's over the length of a 41-quart tub, which is what she's currently in. So... I definitely want to get her in a six-foot cage. But she is a really, really cool, as far as temperament goes, she's a perfect snake. But like I said, getting her out is a little bit of a different story because she is hungry. But I feel like for the download, I need to keep on talking. So. Oh, I thought we were just going to cut this whole part of the download. Yeah, I guess I can do that. I don't know if I trust her right now. There you go. So yeah, Brandon, there's the olive python. How old is she? Uh, almost three. Which oh, is she's, crazy. Oh my god, she's only almost three? 
Awesome. Yeah, which is uh, at least I think that's how old she is. I don't know if she's 2007, 17 or 16. I don't really remember. I'd have to look back. But olive python, man. Cool snake. Okay. And that's why I want to get a big enclosure so she can climb around and do whatever she does. Do her thing. Do her thing. Any you other... You want to uh... put her in the downstairs? Ooh. I mean, I thought you would be way against that. I actually, no, because I would rather have a place where someone can sleep. <laughs> okay, well, if you, you said move it. out that stuff, if you erase all that shit you have in the corner in the dining room. Right, but that's all of our shipping supplies. Which needs to go somewhere. So if you guys don't know, our whole house is just filled with snake stuff. Whether it's shipping supplies or whether it's the actual snakes. It's really frustrating. You've got, like, you got to find places for it. And if, if you make all that disappear, the olive can go there. Is that some type of bribe? It's a, tra- a trade. A trade-off? trade-off. Well. You get what? Because, I mean, in the beginning, yes, I really was like, no, I never want snakes in the living room, whatever. But we have the ATB in the living room. And, and it's I like a non-factor. I don't even think about it, you know? No, granted, she's hiding, or I don't even know if it's a he or she. What is Yeah, it? we don't know. <laughs> it's hiding most of the time, and so just when you walk in, it just looks like a plant box. Like, <laughs> it literally <laughs> just looks like a box of plants half the time. But I forget. Well, out. someone who was facing our dryer asked me if I was growing weed in it, so... <laughs> Which, which, by the way, pothos... I know nothing about growing weeds. I don't think you do it in a box like path, that. Pothos and Chinese whatever snake plants or whatever the hell it is in no way look like marijuana <laughs> plants, but whatever, yeah, I man. I think you would do it in that thing. And maybe not directly in our living room as like a centerpiece, you know, like, like right next to the TV. <laughs> <laughs> so the experts in the chat say that's not the way it's done. I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, we'll think about. No, California. I've seen grow. I've ho- seen right. grow houses and stuff yeah, in seen Colorado. It's definitely not in an enclosure like that. But no. yeah, so you I, do need to keep it warm, like reptiles, though. So I don't know. Maybe know there's that. probably some good he crossover. That. That's funny. Um, but yeah, I think if it's something like that, where it's like. I don't even think about the olive half the time. Now, as long as we don't have to keep it super hot downstairs. Oh, no. Then that's, feel... a, that's a cool thing about a lot of the Australian pythons is that the ambience really not that big of a deal. <laughs> that was Dixie. That was Dixie. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the ambient doesn't seem to be as big of a deal, you know, like a ball python. I, I always prefer higher ambient, but with all the Australian stuff, I always keep the ambient room temperature, which is typically like 74 degrees and yeah. and then like 86 hotspot or so. And so, so I'd be fine with it. Yeah. And okay, then Ryan's here, just going to move here and Ryan, this will be Ryan's room. There you go, Ryan. Um, then he can help you build all these things that you want to build. We'll make a like, uh, we'll put up a Ryan's parking only sign. <laughs> You remember every kid in their in their childhood house had, uh, you know, like Melissa's parking only on their no. wall. You never had those. What do you mean parking? It's a room. I know it was so stupid thing that like they sold kids. Yes, it would be like, it would be like Joe parking only above your bed. It's some stupid stuff. Oh no! I no one else had those. Someone in the chat. 
agree with me or I mean, know what I'm talking about. I'm sure someone had it somewhere, but I didn't ever. No. Okay, good talk. So, <laughs> but yeah, so I got a lot to build. I got a lot to do. And so support us on Patreon. I'm just checking. And but. Ryan said, Joe, what kind of childhood did you have? I don't know. Yeah, very, oh, no. that, that's a loaded was... question. Yeah. <laughs> that's a Do loaded you want to know question. what I really Um, <laughs> Did you play Banker? What the hell? I have no idea what you're talking about, Ryan. Does he mean in Monopoly? We played a lot of Manhunt. Was that a thing? It was Manhunt. It's like hide and go seek in the dark. We would we would like go that out at night. Very dangerous. Yeah, not really, but because I mean, you gotta understand where we lived. It's not like we were in a city at night. It's we were in our friend's backyard, which were typically big enough or had woods for us to hide around in and stuff like that. I thought you meant like a dark room, like you turned out all the lights in it. That's like, weird. <laughs> well, that's that's, that's who's in my mouth. You never play that. Excuse me? Uh, never mind. Um, so, Manhunt. <laughs> okay, we're going to have to talk about this later, clearly. That's an old Dane Cook joke, which also brings me back to my childhood. Okay, well, it's 10 o'clock, and I'm Boom. sure you want to watch hockey, and I have work tomorrow, so. <laughs> That's a Catholic game? Oh, no. Why does everyone know this game that well, I don't? Thing. It happened. No, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> We're not going to isolate a whole audience if we didn't already. Um, I'm just going to have to look this up later. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you guys so much for watching and listening to this podcast. Yeah, this is definitely one of those. If you made it this far, you're on the team. Yeah, it's definitely. one of those. I think all the people who are here right now are on the team. Oh, we're yeah. Definitely our core group right here who keep watching and listening and I support dance, but portcitypythons.com for your springtails, t-shirts and sphagnum. Is that how you say it? Spagna, spagna, spagna. You know, I've heard it both ways. I say sphagnum, but I've heard sphagnum. And I don't know. I think the it's sphagnum as weird. a person whose name is a PH, a Phelan. Yeah. I got to keep the F sound continuity and say sphagnum. Okay. That sounds right. Sphagnum moss. Um, and we'll eventually have babies and we have what else do we have again our patreon oh carpet fest Ooh, we should actually I'm say so it. sorry eric you know, you know we've been we talking know. about it <laughs> well, we, no we've been talking about Ryan we mean to say it here. in the beginning well, we mean to say carpet fest hit up eric or owen if you want to know what to bring there is a crawfish fund going on through howard Redding, and there's a lobster fund going on through nick I always mess up his name. Scally. Scally. I always want to say Scaly. Um, that would be convenient, huh? Yeah. Scaly. Scaly's reptiles. How perfect would that be? Um, wow. 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 ADD. Um, but yes, come to Carpet Fest June 7th, no, June 8th uh, in Warminster, PA. Boom. Everyone's invited. You don't have to keep Carpet I'm, Pythons. I'm most excited to meet Travis Wyman. I hope he knows that when I don't bring your animals or else they'll be considered NIDO positive on contact. (laughs) (laughs) Once you, once you pass the driveway, they're all of a sudden quarantined and shipped away. No live animals. 
I feel like we shouldn't have to say that because Eric and Owen say, say that it a lot. Often. But maybe someone doesn't listen in PR. Who knows? Maybe that, that would be weird, huh? That they only listen to us. No. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. Highly doubt it. There's one colubrid um, guy out there, I'm sure. Who's like, ah, I don't want to listen to Morelia. I don't care about Morelia. Only no, Kalubrid. they probably just don't know. We just somehow got through the ether to them. <laughs> they, like, don't have internet, but they somehow came across this one day. I don't know. No. So if you're that guy, send me a telegram or whatever. <laughs> send me an email. So the great outro. Yes, Thank so you guys great. so much. We will be on. Yes, Brennan had a better response. They'll be cold on site. There you go. There you go. Um, Okay. See you guys next week. Later, Gators. Bye.